Well, uh, it's back to school time, so the kiddos are back in school, which means uh, anyone who has kids, you guys are excited because it means we're back to routines. I'm not sure if you're someone who, who needs routines or not. Um, with my personality, I, I tend to kind of want both. Like, I want routine, but I want the freedom to break routine. So when the kids go back to school and we have that every morning, we get at the same time, we have the, the, the food, we put the backpacks on them, we get them out the door, it's just kind of like a... Uh, it's fresh for me. I enjoy it. It helps me breathe a little bit, ha- have some, some uh, consistency to the week. But with school, I was thinking about school a little bit, and uh, I have this question for you guys. When's the last time that you guys took a test in school? College, high school, junior high? You did go junior high, right, everybody? Okay. Okay, just think back. When's the last time that you took a test, specifically in a room with other people? Come on, think back. Was it Spanish? Was it math? What? October. Okay. <laughs> Is there anyone else who took a test <laughs> that recent in a room with other people, right? Okay. Have you ever had the experience where you just had it that day? Like you just fell in the zone. So much so that you were done early. You were that person who's <laughs> sitting there, sitting there. And you're done, and you just sit back, and you stare around the room, and everyone's heads are down. Have you ever been that person? Come on, hands. Okay. Have you at least ever been the person who's busy, and you notice the jerk who's staring at everybody else? Like, have you been that person? (laughs) hate that person. Okay. Now, have you ever been the person who finished early, who's watching everyone going, gosh, man, I'm just, I'm good, right? But then you realize something. You're sitting there watching Five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 15, and then all of a sudden you go, hmm, something's off, something's off, and you flip the paper over. <laughs> yes? Come on. Like, yes, come on. <laughs> if that was your ACT, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> Didn't work out good, did it? Well, okay, that experience, now I will say this, in, in high school and college, I did have that experience a lot of just kind of being like, man, I am so much smarter than everyone in this room. <laughs> And then, of course, it flips over and it hits you. You know, the, um, the O Chicago Bears moment. How about that? We'll say that. Come on. Do you get that? Okay. Yeah. And so, and so in that moment when it hits you that you realize, okay, I thought I had a, a handle on this. I thought uh, I had this covered. I thought I, had, uh, I thought I was done. I thought I just, you know, I was safe. I was comfortable, right? I was coasting. There's something about that feeling when it flips over, right? Prior to that paper flipping over, you are happy with yourself. You are uh, patting yourself on the back. But at the same time, you are able, because you are so much smarter than everyone in the room, because you are so gifted and amazing and awesome, you're able to just look down and just watch, you know, like survey everyone around you. If only you had been as smart as I am. If only you had studied as many hours as I did. Of course, I wasn't that type of student. Um, if, if only you, whatever, right, you'd be able to enjoy what I enjoy. And you get to sit there and just watch the room. What's interesting about this is I've found that this test, this experience applies to more than just that. Um, and multiple places in my life, uh, I've, I've felt like I had arrived. I felt like I'd kind of reached that place. I felt like, I, you know, the test was over, the pin's down, 
I'm good now. I'm good. I'm supposed to be a pastor, so at some point, I should have been able to finish the test, the spiritual Jesus test before you. I've finished my Jesus test. I've got an A. I'm on the stage. Be quiet. It's my job to sit and watch you guys try really hard. If only you had as much gold anointing holy dust on you as I do, you'd be able to pass the Jesus test the way that I did. And so there are moments when you feel so comfortable and you get to just, you know, your entire life is now about, you know, watching and helping everyone else. Hey, it's okay. It, it, it's a hard test. It really is. It, it's, it's your job now to encourage people. It's, it's okay. You can do it. But even in the Jesus test, I've learned something. The page always turns and there's always more. And I think the moment I learned that, I mean, you learn it a few times. But at some point in the process, you realize, okay, it's getting old now. Okay, there's more. Okay, there's more. Ah, I think I know where this is going, right? I think I get it now. I think I understand that every time I think I have it down, I think I've I've passed the Jesus test. I've, I've spent my time in prayer. I've, I've, I've repented of all my sins. I've, I've spent my time, you know, serving God and, you know, I've tithed and blah, 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 blah. I think I'm good now, right? And then you flip it over. And so in the passage this morning that we read from Luke, I believe we're seeing this. I, I believe we're seeing... Uh, uh, an O Chicago Bears moment that's happening for the Pharisee in this moment. In the story, you just kind of feel it, right? They're eating in this man's house. It's his house. He's at the table. He's comfortable. He's got his servants at work. Uh, it's, his, it's his food. It's his, you know, abode, if you would. It's his safe place. He's in control. He's sitting back at the tables, kind of, you know, surveying everything around him. And and then all of a sudden, here comes this woman, and she breaks in to the party. And as everyone's talking at the table, trying to ignore her, she's on the ground, on her knees. And she's beginning to pour out this oil on uh, the feet of Jesus. And, and, you know, that's already a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not very socially comfortable with me talking to you and someone coming in and starting to touch your feet. I'm not okay with feet, okay? But now they're going to pour something on your feet while we're there. Now they're going to start to kiss your feet. Okay, there are some things that you can overlook, and there are other things you're just going to be, okay, whoa, what's, what's going on? You aren't even invited to this party. Why are you even in this room? Let alone touching him. Keep your hands to yourself. Did you go to kindergarten? Sit on your hands. Stop kissing his feet. We're trying to have a conversation. We're trying to talk about the Bible here, don't you know? You know, God's stuff. Shoo. Kissing is inappropriate. He didn't ask you to put your lips on his feet. I mean... <laughs> You guys just read these stories like they're so ordinary. This is not okay. There's nothing about this that's okay. Don't act like you'd be like, oh, you know, she's just obeying God. She just brought her worship to the table. That's all she did. 
No, you would be so bothered by this. You would be uncomfortable by this. Even if someone told you, hey, she's just worshiping Jesus. Worship a different way. (laughs) Keep your tambourine and your kisses and your alabaster jar at home, right? This is a no-flag zone. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to go there. I had to go there. Sometimes it makes you uncomfortable. Who's doing it? How they're doing it? You just, just please, it's not around me. And so in this moment, there is this, this test that's taking place. And what I, what I call this is, I call this the grace test. Because what happens, what I've learned in my life is this. There is a place where, where I am very quick to, to criticize, to, to judge, to, to look down on how people interact with God and how people worship, how they preach, how they, you know, obey God, how they handle their money. I mean, there are places in my life where I can be extremely critical. Hey, I'm a pastor. It's my job. I'm supposed to sit up here and just evaluate your Jesus tests, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. Until I flip my page over, right? What happens in life, in life and with God especially as we journey with Christ, is that there are seasons and places where we feel like we're good. We've, we've got it all figured out. We're comfortable. And a very easy way to tell where you are, what, what if you're in the high or the low, are, are you in a place where you have you kind of put the pin down, you feel comfortable? You can tell. Because when you begin to have enough time on your hands, enough energy, enough thought to begin to evaluate and judge the people around you. Hmm. There's something missing in this picture. Because see, what happens is this. What I've experienced is this. When I've had a fresh taste of how broken I personally am, of how unclean or how much of a sinner I am, I find that the majority of my time is spent fixated on God. And the more that my attention is on God, the more that I'm aware of my brokenness, the more I am aware of His love for me, the less ability or even care in the world I have to look at anyone else around me and begin to judge their condition. I found in my life this. People are only able to extend what they are allowing themselves to receive. See, I wasn't very good at loving people. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It's because I wasn't very good at giving love. Why? Because I wasn't very good at what? Receiving love. See, kids teach you a lot. Whether you have kids or someone you know has kids, I encourage you to spend time around children. There are times when I, whenever I will begin to correct my kids for something. And they begin to, you know, to respond to me or to argue with me or to beg for mercy. Sorry, child, no mercy here. You did this, you deserve this. Sorry, spanking time. Right? It's simple, kid. You did this, this is what happens. Bam. Here it comes. Punitive judgment. American style. Come on now. 
And oh, it feels so good, doesn't it? Now things are right. I've spent you. Everything's better. Your debt is paid. Your butt is red. We're good. As long as you don't do it again, they're going to beat you again, right? That's why you're going to burn forever in hell, right? Because you just keep on beating that butt. Uh-oh, I'm not smiling anymore. <laughs> no, with, with children, there's something that cuts through things for us. So like with my kids, I... <laughs> Judas learned this trick. He says, Dad, show mercy. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. Stop that, you know. Stop, whoa, you know. And he's like, Dad... You should show me mercy. You should show me mercy because God shows you mercy. <laughs> oh yeah, he learns really quick and he listens way too well. It's not good. Yeah, I know good for him. And so there are moments, right, where you're, whether it's the Spirit of God or you have moments where you're, you know, you're, you're uh, I guess you're, your brain, when it just begins to run, you've been talking to yourself. It's moments when you go, no, I'm not showing you mercy. And all of a sudden, there's that voice inside your head. Uh, would you like to have mercy? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Like, wouldn't you want some, I mean, just a little bit of mercy? <sighs> well, I guess maybe I could. See, with my children, it's funny. In the moments in my life where I feel the most aware of my own brokenness, the moments where I feel the most aware of my need for mercy, for uh, forgiveness from God, are the moments when I tend to show my own children the most mercy. That's weird, isn't it? The moments when I, am, when I cannot ignore how broken I am are the moments that I begin to be so much more willing to extend mercy to other people. See, the time of my life when I was the worst pastor was the time of my life when I was the most confident Christian. Did you hear that? When I was more confident in my ability to be an amazing, awesome Christian, when I was convinced that I was a better Christian than you, I would pray more than you, I was going to repent more than you, I was going to read more than you, study more than you, obey more than you, give more than you, I was going to be a better Christian than anyone in the room. When I was in that space... I was the worst, Christian, the worst pastor I'd ever been. In the spaces and moments when I am the most face-to-face, -face, I cannot ignore or hide or argue away my brokenness. When my brokenness is right in front of me, those are the moments when I'm the best pastor. Those are the moments when I extend kindness care, concern, compassion, mercy. There are so many times in the past when a leader would slip up, boy, I'd let them have it. You're a leader. You should know better. Come on. Oh, I'd let them have it. All of them aren't here anymore, too. But then I started to make slip-ups. But, but then I started to make mistakes. And the more I began to see my own slip-ups and my own mistakes, the more I began to extend that patience, that gentleness to others. 
So there's a cycle that we go through. And the first step of the cycle is learning to own ourselves, meaning to take ownership, to claim who we really are. So in my life, there is a place where you can have weaknesses or brokenness or skeletons in your closet, but choose to be oblivious to it, choose to ignore it, choose to, to, you know, to make excuses for it, to argue it away. Oh yeah, 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 sure, I've got weaknesses, but, but, and of course there's always buts to all this stuff. But there's also a place of maturity when you begin to grow into yourself. You begin to be mature enough as a human, mature enough as a follower of Jesus to wake up every morning and accept and say, you know what, this is who I am. Yes, God is at work in me. Yes, the Spirit of God is at work in me. But guess what? I'm still someone who deals with anger issues. I'm still someone who might have pride issues. I'm still someone who might have lust issues. I'm still someone who might have envy of someone else. I'm still someone who might deal with deception. I'm still someone who might try to manipulate my spouse. I'm someone who still might be consumed with money. I am loved by God and God's working me, but guess what? I am still a work in progress. And so if you are growing in Christ, here's the first thing that I will see in your life. I will see you begin to be someone who owns your brokenness. You own your mistakes. You own your weaknesses. Now, I don't just mean that with words. I, I hate when people want to say, yes, yeah, sh- you know, yeah, I'm broken, yeah, yeah. But, and they begin to shift it somewhere else, to someone else. A great test for you to see if you have really come to a place of owning your brokenness, is to see how you respond when you're face-to-face with someone else's brokenness. Now see, as a pastor, I spend time in the hospital a lot. There's something interesting you see in hospitals. That even someone who can be sick and in the hospital be attached to the machines, they've got the IVs going, the nurses are in there with them, the doctors are coming to see them. Someone can be registered, checked in, having severe treatment in the hospital, but if they see someone who they think is in worse shape than them, ooh, what's going on with that guy? All of a sudden, their concept of if I'm sick or not sick is based on if I see someone else worse off than I am. See, there's something about this. Because see, when you begin to own your brokenness, you begin to measure your brokenness compared to Christ. When you have not matured enough to own your brokenness, you only know you're broken when you compare it to others. There's parables about this, by the way. We'll talk about this some other day. When the only time you ever know if you need work or you need healing or you need fix or you need this is by comparing yourself to someone next to you, you have not matured enough to own your brokenness. Here's the next test. You have owned your brokenness when you are allowing yourself to receive healing and forgiveness. See, it's one thing to walk around saying, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm a failure, I do these different things. There are, there are many people who, who I've pastored who will talk about and acknowledge their, their shortcomings all day long, but they haven't come to a place of allowing God to begin to cover that brokenness. 
And so they're so willing to tell everyone else around them that they're messed up and they're broken and they failed at this and all these different issues, but they haven't yet come to a place to allow God to cover them, to heal them, to forgive them. See, there's a, a section of the prodigal son story in Luke, and it's just a few chapters down. And it goes hand in hand with this, this section we read this morning. With the prodigal sons, there's a moment in the story where the, the father meets the son, and there is an embrace that takes place. And the embrace is followed by gifts. There's a showering of gifts. They put sandals on his feet. They put a, a family signet ring on his hand in something that's very, very important. The father robes his son. He covers him. The father takes a piece of clothing which was his own, takes it off, and he, he covers his son with it. And what's so crazy about this moment is the father takes him immediately from this moment on the street, and he takes him immediately into the home. And right the moment they enter the home, the word goes out that the party has started, the, the, the servants begin to prepare the meal, and there's something very not okay that happens in this space. The son is allowed to enter the home, and the son is allowed to enter the party, and the son is even allowed to sit at the table to eat before he has been washed. You don't understand, this is not okay. See, this is not just a, a matter of being washed with water and soap. See, he is, he is unclean. The law has declared this person to be unclean. He is not allowed to be in the village Definitely not allowed to be in the home and has no place whatsoever to be at a table where people are sharing the sacred meal. He has no right to be there. What makes him able to be there is two things. One is the father owns the house. And two, the father said he can sit. I had a family who came to me just very upset about this story one time. No, that can't be how the story goes. No, no, no that's not okay. See, uh, he had to be made clean somehow, right? Like, uh, where did he repent? See, he came back and that's a, he repented. See, the frustration was, why is he allowed to sit? Why is he allowed to be here? Why is he allowed to be with us before he's been made clean? Why? See, there's something that is, is fundamentally challenging about the gospel of Jesus. About five years ago, we almost walked away from the ministry. You know, it's hard and everything, but I think more than anything, I just lost interest for it. The gospel that I saw in the Scriptures, I didn't see it around me. And I, I'd lost my passion for it. And five years ago, I, I began to study the, uh, the gospels more, and specifically the, the parables. And the more that I began to dive into the parables, the more that my heart began to just be stirred again, and my imagination began to be inspired again. And, and I began to have this fire begin to kind of build back up in me. And so we did a long series of messages. And out of those messages came a theme. 
And out of that theme came a name. And we named this church what? Grace Church. There are many topics in the Bible that I think I have a pretty good understanding of. There are topics that I'm not afraid to teach on. I'll, you know, I don't feel like I haven't done my due diligence. There are topics that, you know, but there's one topic that I always feel overwhelms me. I never feel I fully have it. I always feel just confused and grace. There's something so beautiful and yet something so painful about grace. There's something so attractive about grace, but yet there's something that just makes you afraid of grace. Because here's the question. As much as I want grace, as much as I need grace, as much as I know my brokenness, and I know my weaknesses and the skeletons in my closet, I know my past, I know my shortcomings, I know my failures and fears, my insecurities, as much as I know that, and I know that that is a mountain, and that needs, I need grace. As much as I know I need grace, as much as I need that kind of love from God, I'm afraid. If He's going to give that to me, who else will He give that to? If my skeletons, if my sins, if my shortcomings, if my issues and problems and wrong motives and if my junk is not too much for His grace, then whose is? When you come to a place of maturity in Christ and you've owned your brokenness, not just your brokenness in the past, don't play that game. Well, I used to be broken, but I'm not anymore by Jesus Christ. Amen. I know every one of you has not sinned in 10 years, right? Since you received Christ. Amen. I used to be a sinner back in the day, but then the Lord saved me. Please, people. Please don't bring me that stuff. Own your brokenness now. It might look different. It might be so much more clean and scrubbed and, and polished and dressed really nice and has Bible verses pinned all over it. But you are still broken. You are still selfish. And you are still a sinner. You do things for your own good and they hurt people. That means you are a sinner. You seek your own good first. With your children, with your marriage, with your friends, with your money, with your choices in life. That's what you do. You're human. You are broken. Own it. When you come to a place of owning your brokenness, you begin to step into a place of receiving forgiveness, healing, and grace. See, there's a space where you can have severe issues taking place of you, and you can even try to acknowledge it. But until you come to the extent where you are willing to run to get whatever help you need, you have not fully acknowledged it. I'm not sure if you have someone in your family like this who, who doesn't like going to the doctor. Anybody? Come on. Okay. And you are telling them, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. And they say, yeah, yeah, sure, but it's nothing. It's just whatever. Right? They are acknowledging their sickness or brokenness, whatever you want to call it, but not fully, right? They've only acknowledged it when they are willing to seek help. 
I'm kind of bad about that. See, last year, Nisa was all over me about something. You need to go to the doctor. I'm fine. It's no big deal. It's nothing. The moment I entered that doctor's office and allowed them to treat me, that's when I'd fully accepted and embraced my need for help. The moment that I find myself absolutely broken and willing to receive the grace of God without any strings attached, that's when I know that I've owned my brokenness. You have to understand something. I used to convince myself that yes, everyone needs grace, everyone needs forgiveness, but I've done these things to get it. See, I get forgiven and healed because I've spent more time in prayer. I cried more than you when I was sorry, so I get more of God's grace than you do. I quoted more Bible verses about how much I'm sorry to God. I read the Psalms, and I get so much more of God's grace than you do. The only defining characteristic here of the people who have owned their brokenness, who are, allowed, who are allowing God to meet them, are those who are finding themselves on their knees. And knees is not just a symbol of worship. Knees is brokenness. Humility. And where this leads you to is very simple. When you allow yourself to own your brokenness, you allow God you allow yourself to receive God's healing and grace and forgiveness. And there's something about that position. Just kind of imagine it in this story. Imagine the story. If you are on your knees, and if you are so consumed with pouring oil, and you are rubbing and kissing and washing with your hair, how able are you from this position to notice or care or judge or criticize anyone else in the room? Come on, imagine it. I'm kissing these feet right now. What else can I look at right now? These stinking stories are so powerful. The only person in the room who has the ability to judge and criticize is the one kicking back at the table. I'm good. See, I repented years ago. See, I'm aware of my brokenness. And I get to sit at the table and judge. Oh, but Devin, there are a lot less buts when you find yourself broken and on your knees and seeking God. There are a lot less buts to who gets to get on their knees with you. There are a lot less buts on who gets to to seek God and who gets to be healed and who gets to be forgiven. There are a lot less buts when you are aware that you need it as much as anyone around you. And you can say that all you want, but the test is always the same. The grace test, it never lies. Whatever you are willing to extend to someone reveals what you are receiving from God. The limit to which I will extend forgiveness and kindness, and gentleness, and love, and mercy, and grace to you reveals not only how much I'm receiving, but how much I believe I really need. See, here's the trick. 
The trick is, it always comes back to how much I believe I need it. Yeah, I need mercy and forgiveness and grace and all that, but you, honey, you need Jesus. Come on now. I was told that this was the job position, being a pastor. We get to a place on the spiritual mountain where I need Jesus, but, but honey, we need to focus on you right now until you get to my level. Yeah, Jesus cares about me, but you know he's already helped me. <laughs> We're going to help you. Come on. See, the, the trick in this whole thing comes down to what you see in the mirror. I'm good. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. We all need Jesus. We all need mercy and forgiveness. But when you are someone who is fully, fully aware of how broken you are, you are fully willing to receive any amount of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love without any strings attached. Oh, hold on, Jesus. Uh, before you forgive me and, and you know, love me and, 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 and you know, just uh, please require things of me first. Make me jump through some hoops first. Please, Jesus. Come on, that's funny. That's exactly what a lot of us want to say to everyone. Yeah, sure, Jesus, hold them and accept them and embrace them, but first make them jump through three or four hoops first. Okay, good, we're good now. We're good. My conscience is now at ease, Jesus. They've jumped through four hoops. I feel like, you know, it's okay to bring them home now. It's okay, Jesus, bring them on home now. It's good. You know, every single time in my life, I believed I'd already jumped those hoops. <sighs> Every time I believed that my test was done and the pencil was down and I'm good. All I needed to do was flip it over. Don't let any leader or pastor or theologian confuse you. This is a journey that every one of us is on together. There are things we can learn. There are strengths and weaknesses in this. But there's no place in this journey where you will ever be walking in this holiness where the ray of sun is, is on you and you just have the, you know, the, the gold dust coming around you and you know, just the clouds begin to lay under your feet everywhere you go. It never arrives. Ever. And so what happens for us is this. We test ourselves daily. Whatever it is I'm willing to extend to you is going to show me what I am receiving from God and even worse, what I believe I really need from God. If I'm only willing to extend this much grace and love and forgiveness to you, I'm only receiving this much. And the darkest thing is, I think I only need this much. The beautiful thing in all of this is that 
even though there's no one who has the right to be sitting back at the table comfortable. As long as every child of God comes with that posture of, I am unworthy of this. He ends up flipping us around, cleaning us up, covering us, and sitting us in places and relationship and place in life that we never deserved in the first place. You know, in the prodigal sons, and really in almost all the parables of Jesus, the catch on every parable is who ends up in and who ends up out. Who ends up at the table? Who ends up out? Who ends up in the city or out? Who ends up at the party or out of the party? Who ends up at the banquet or not at the banquet? You know, who ends up getting their pay from the vineyard owner or not? Every parable has the same hook in it. Everyone you thought deserved to get theirs. Everyone who thought they were safe always ends up on the outside. Everyone who everyone else said had no right to be there always ends up in. The person who should be clean at the table, the Pharisee, who should be clean. He shouldn't need to grovel. He shouldn't need to be on his knees. He's not a sinner. That statement is so terrible. If he were a prophet, he would know a sinner is at his feet. If you were an idiot, you would know you are a sinner too. (laughs) What are you talking about? Let's end on this. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians 4.31. Just so you know, it's not just Jesus talking. I know you wouldn't imagine this, but I get a lot of people get tired of hearing Jesus. We don't want Jesus. Give us Paul. Jesus is too forgiving and loving and he's too complicated. We don't know what he's talking about, those parables. Give us Paul or John or someone. Well, you definitely don't want John, I'll tell you that. Here comes Ephesians. Ephesians 4.31-32. through 32. Put aside all bitterness... Losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Now, I'll tell you what, right now, that's exactly what judging looks like. Bitterness, temper, anger, shouting, slander. Slander means talking about people. I don't know many people who are forgiving who talk about other people. Amen? Yeah. Along with every other form of evil. Here's the hardest part be kind, compassionate. Compassion means understanding care about the, put yourself in someone else's shoes and be forgiving to each other. Here's the hinge, here's the linchpin in all this be forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. What you receive, you what? What you receive, you give. What you're not giving, you are not receiving. Would you stay with me this morning? Well, Father, we just come to you this morning and I think this, this can affect us in all different ways. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd meet us in our, in our situations with our family members and our friends and our co-workers and neighbors and with the people who are close to us. Where are we not willing? What face, what name are we not willing to extend forgiveness, mercy, 
grace, love, acceptance. Show us where. Who is it? Where is our line drawn? Yes, but. Where is our but? Where are we unwilling to move the line? Where is it? Meet us in that space, Lord. I ask, Lord, this morning that that we would be made awake to our own brokenness. That we would be made awake to our own need for forgiveness, mercy, grace. In every situation, with every person, with every offense, with every frustration, with every disappointment in these people who we're unwilling to forgive or unwilling to let go. Work on us, Lord. Heal us. Be patient with us. Be slow with us. Be gentle with us. Lead us by your kindness to repentance. And we just ask that you would not stop working in every place in our hearts and our lives where we're not healed enough yet, not mature enough yet, not whole enough yet to extend what we want from you to those around us. Prayer team, I'm just going to invite you guys up. This message can affect us in a hundred different ways and and I pray that it's, it's kind of met you kind of where you are this morning. And if you need prayer for anything, understand that there's power in prayer. There's power in confession. There's power in people praying for God to move in your life. So if you need prayer for anything, if you need to have someone pray with you for forgiveness, if you need to repent of sin, if you just need to feel grace or love, we're here for you this morning. So Father, we ask, Lord, have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. We submit them to you. We pray blessings over our neighbors, over our family, over our co-workers. We ask for protection over our families. And we just yield to your will. In Jesus' name.